can be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, I want to invite you to open up with me to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, there's one in the pew back in front of you. Uh, Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. Christmas is among us. It is upon us. We've been counting down the days and many of our families, many have already started to gather with family, to eat and to uh, fellowship and to uh, exercise and practice their traditions. Many have already started giving and receiving gifts and all those things that we love to do this time of season. For many, that's still coming Uh, Sometimes we have a Christmas with one family this weekend and one the next weekend, and then Christmas we can be traveling and all over the place. This is a time of the year where precious memories are made, where nostalgia from the past comes alive, and we remember days of old. It can also be, if we're honest, a hard time of the year where we miss days gone by that we can't have back. Oftentimes, even missing those that are no longer with us, but who loomed large each year at the holidays as we gathered. Christmas can be a time of hope, but also a time of heartache. It can be a season filled with excitement, but also a season filled with exhaustion. We all have different memories, different traditions, different experiences, different hopes and different heartaches. But when we get underneath all of those things that are unique to us and what Christmas means to us, we're left with what Christmas is ultimately about. Something that we say and sing and read and hear often and yet struggle to put into practice the fact that Jesus is the true reason for the season. We say that. We put signs up in our yard that say that. We see Facebook memes about that. We hear that proclaimed from many. But what does it really mean that Jesus is the reason for the season? My hope this morning in our short time together, is to try to answer that question by connecting the birth of Christ, the story that we celebrate at Christmas, with the end of the book of Exodus that we've been walking through this entire calendar year. What we've seen in Exodus is the story of God keeping His promises to Abraham and his family Israel. We've seen God show up and save them from their Egyptian bondage. We've read and learned about Him sustaining them in the wilderness of drought and hardship and hunger, providing and meeting all their needs. We've seen Him come into covenant with them at Mount Sinai, giving them His laws and explaining how He would go with them and dwell with them. We've even seen in the book of Exodus how when Israel breaks that covenant and rebels against God, because of their mediator Moses, God agrees to stay with them, go with them, and be with them moving forward. 
All of this is possible because God gives Israel instructions about how to build a moving tent called a tabernacle. We've talked about this in detail, but in summary, a tabernacle is where God's presence would come down and dwell with His people. Special arrangements had to be made. Special sacrifices had to be offered. Special priests had to be anointed so that a holy God who cannot be in the presence of sin could dwell near an imperfect and unholy people like Israel. The book of Exodus closes with Exodus 35 through 40 telling us that Israel finally builds this moving tent, this tabernacle. They finally make the priest garments and get the altar ready so that when God decides it's time, He will come down and dwell with them. And that's where our text leads us this morning. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. This is what God's Word says. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the tent of meet, because the cloud settled down onto it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. After God renews this covenant with Israel, and after Israel obeys God's instructions, God's presence comes down in a cloud to fill this moving tent called a tabernacle. This is a massively big deal. We read through this and we Don't think much of it. It's easy to read over some stories in the Bible and think, how is this relevant to my life? But this is a massively big deal because there's only been a few instances in human history up to this point in Exodus. A few in the book of Genesis and God being with Mount Sinai where God has actually come and been with and dwelt with His people. In fact, this is one of the first times that God has been with His people since His people were cast out of the Garden of Eden way back in Genesis chapter 3 and 4. When God created the world, He created it so that we, His creation, could dwell with Him. 
He created it so we could be at peace with Him and dwell in His presence. And the Bible tells us all over the place that being with God, being in His presence, that's where the fullness of joy is. It says that's where pleasures forevermore is. Being with God is better than family. It's better than jobs. It's better than money. It's better than comfort and security and food and gifts and the things of this life that we love. All the gifts that God can give us pale in comparison to being with God. And God made us to dwell with Him. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. In the Garden of Eden. There was no need to hide from God because there was no guilt. There was no sin. There was no shame. There was no brokenness. But Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God. And when they did, the order that God had created began to unravel. Problems, issues, trials, suffering, sin, shame, guilt, hardship, all of these things came into God's good and perfect created order. Blessing was replaced with curse. Order was replaced with chaos. Wholeness was replaced with brokenness. Mankind's relationship with the world and with one another was now broken and fractured. But even more significant than that, mankind was now estranged enemies of the God who made them for His glory and to dwell in His presence in the fullness of joy. Adam and Eve could no longer dwell with or live at peace with God because of their sin. They were sent away from Eden. They were exiled from this land of Eden, this perfect paradise that God had placed them in. And it was now guarded by angels with flaming swords. They could not get back to God and to peace with Him. And yet, in the midst of all of these judgments and curses and hardships, God made a promise. He made a promise of a future hope, a future seed, a baby to come, a descendant from Adam and Eve who would one day come and would roll back these curses. This descendant would come and he would crush the serpent's head who had led them into this sin. This descendant, this baby, this this offspring would come and he would make a way for God who is holy and mankind who is sinful to be reconciled again. And the rest of the story of the Bible from Genesis 4 onwards is the story of how God will keep that promise. An exodus that we've spent a year on is but a small part of that big, big story. And the climax of exodus is what we've just read, that God, the holy, righteous Lord, Yahweh by name, comes down to dwell with His people Israel in the tabernacle. The glory cloud of God's presence comes down to dwell among his people. This is to be like a taste of the Garden of Eden because they are close to God again.
But the problem is, is that if you know the rest of the story, you know that this will not last. Because Israel has hard hearts towards God. They think they know better than God. They think that the things of this world will satisfy them more than God will. And as a result of that, Israel's story is a long and sad tale of rebellion and covenant breaking. They have highs that are high, but their lows are extremely low. They will refuse to enter the promised land of Canaan and as a result wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Under Joshua, they will obey and they will go into the promised land. They will commit to the Lord and say, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And yet, while they say that with their mouths, they continually are doing what is right in their own eyes. They reject God as their king and cry out for a human king to be crowned. But none of the kings that they have ultimately deliver on what Israel desires. Some of the kings like David and Solomon do great things for God and yet they will also commit heinous covenant-breaking sin. David's son Solomon will even build a great temple, much bigger, much larger, much more beautiful than the tabernacle that God dwelled in. And this temple will become the place where God's presence will dwell with His people in their history. But in time, God has enough of Israel's sin, of their covenant breaking and of their rebellion So He finally gives them what they have earned, what they deserve for their covenant breaking. And God sends foreign armies to come to the promised land, to ransack the people, to tear down the temple where God's presence dwells and to take the people of Israel away from their land into exile just like Adam and Eve had been sent to exile from the promised land of Eden long before. History is repeating itself in the big story of the Bible because Adam and Eve failed to obey God. Israel fails to obey God. This temple is destroyed and that means that God does not dwell with His people. The tabernacle and the temple, this tabernacle we read about here in Exodus 40, where the Lord's presence comes down, and then the temple that will replace it, it signifies and gives great hope to the people of Israel and for all mankind, because as long as it was there and as long as God God was with them, they knew that God was close, that they had hope, that they had peace, that they had future, that they had protection. But the problem is, is they constantly screwed it up because their hearts were far from God. And yet, even when Israel finds themselves in exile, even when they're far from the promised land, with no prophet to give a word from the Lord, with no priest to offer sacrifice to the Lord, with no king ruling and reigning His people, even afar from the promised land, with God's presence not with them, they still held fast to that promise, to those promises that a seed would come 
to crush the serpent's head and roll back the curses. They still held on to those promises made to Abraham that from them the nations would be blessed. They held on to those promises made to David that a king would come who would rule and reign forever. They held on hope to this Messiah of the future, God's forever king that would come. So the song we sang earlier is something that would have been near and dear to the ancient Israelites' hearts in exile. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come and rescue us. Come and ransom us from our exile. Bring us back to the land. Bring us back to the temple. Bring us back to you. But for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years... The people had no word from the Lord until just at the right time, God stepped into history and decided to act. God the Son humbly stepped off the throne, laying aside His divine privileges, willingly taking on flesh to become a man. He came to identify with us and He did not come as a mighty warrior, conquering king, but He came as a helpless, dependent, humble baby. God the Son full of power and might, omnipotent, unstoppable, laid aside His divine privileges to identify with us. He came not as a mighty king, but as a helpless baby born of a virgin. And when that little baby was born in a stable in Bethlehem, the apostle John tells us in John 1 that God, who he calls the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, literally The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. You see, the tabernacle of old and the temple of old had always been arrows, pointers, pointing forward to the fulfillment to the climax, to when God would truly, fully, and finally come and dwell among us. When God the Son came and dwelt among us, He tabernacled among us. He came near to us and He comes to show us what the tabernacle in the middle of Israel had pointed forward to all along. For hundreds of years, God had not dwelt in the temple. The temple had been torn down, and then when Israel returned, they rebuilt it. Herod the king rebuilt a temple, and they had priests, and they offered sacrifices, and they were trying to keep the law in the city of Jerusalem, and yet God was not there. They were going through the motions, but God was not there amongst them until Christmas morn. Out in Bethlehem, God came down not in a cloud of glory, 
Not in a visual display of wonder. Not in a public spectacle for every eye to see. But He came down to the noise of a young woman's labor pains in a barn in the middle of nowhere. Emmanuel, God was with us again. But God had not come as a baby so that we could tell a cute little story to our kids for generations. God came in the flesh as a baby to do what Adam and Eve had failed to do in the garden and been exiled for. He came to do what Israel had failed to do in the promised land and been exiled for. He came to live the perfect life that we cannot live and then to face the exile of God's judgment bearing the wrath and judgment we deserve for our sin so that we, fallen, unholy, impure, imperfect people, can dwell at peace with God again. Not momentarily, but for all eternity. Jesus was born to die. He was born to defeat death. He was born to live sinlessly. And on the cross, He bore the judgment of God for our sins so we can be at peace with Him. On the cross, Jesus rolled back the curses of sin that Adam and Eve had plunged mankind into. On the cross, Jesus tore the veil in the tabernacle and temple that separated God from man. On the cross, Jesus opened up the pathway to the paradise of Eden and the promised land for His people. Jesus finished His mission. Christmas means nothing without Good Friday and Easter Sunday because God has come. He has dwelled in the flesh. He's the true tabernacle of God. He's the true glory cloud. He is the presence of God among us, identifying with us in our weakness and yet without sin. He is our Savior. He is our King. And the glory cloud that falls in Exodus 40 would be an amazing sight to see, but it is nothing compared to the glory of God falling in a stable in Bethlehem in a little baby's body named Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. And we would do well to push pause and to marvel on that reality this Christmas season. Friends, Christmas means many things to many people. And many of us, even this morning, are wound up really tight, stressing out about it. We're trying to make everything perfect. We're trying to please everybody and keep the peace in our family. We're trying to make our homes look like a magazine so we can create the perfect Christmas atmosphere. We're spending far more money than we have. 
And we're fretting about menus and foods and all those different things. Why? Because Christmas is supposed to be special. And friends, all of that stuff, the food and the presents and the decorations, those are good fun. But listen to me. Jesus is the reason for the season. The memories we have will one day fade. The presents we buy will soon break, be lost, forgotten, and eventually end up in a landfill somewhere. The food that you eat will satisfy you temporarily, and yet you will be hungry again by nighttime. But not so with Jesus. Jesus' love and Jesus' presence in your life will not fade. The gift of eternal life, the gift of eternal joy in God's presence that is yours if you know Jesus, it will not break and end up in a landfill. Because Jesus is better than good food and family. Jesus is better than gifts and memories. Jesus is better than decorations and traditions. And if you have Jesus, then you don't need a single present this Christmas. If you have Jesus, you can be all alone this Christmas. If you have Jesus, you can have a Charlie Brown Christmas tree for Christmas. If you have Jesus, you can eat a box of Captain Crunch for Christmas dinner and you still have all you need because Jesus is better than all of those things. Friends, I urge you, lean into Jesus this week. Don't be too distracted for Jesus. Rest in Him. Reflect on Him. Remind yourself you have peace with God because of Jesus. And let me tell you, if you are reflecting on that and resting in that truth, then if you burn the ham, who cares? Because you have Jesus. If your house is a big, stinking, hot mess, who cares? Because you have Jesus. If your family drives you up the wall crazy, who cares? You have Jesus. If you don't get one present that you wanted, who cares? You have Jesus. If you just broke the bank to buy your kids presents and when they're done they say, is that all? Who cares? You have Jesus. If what you've envisioned for Christmas gathering doesn't happen and your plans don't come to pass, who cares? You have Jesus. Even if you're all alone and everyone you love is not near, who cares? You have Jesus. He is with you. He will not forsake you. He has got you peace with God forever and we can rest in Him. That is what it means for Jesus to be the reason for the season. And He's not just the reason for this season. He's He's the reason for New Year's. He's the reason for January. And February and March too. He's not just the reason for around Christmas and Easter each year. He is the reason for our lives. He is better than all the other things. Friends, Jesus is with us. Jesus knows us. 
Jesus gives us peace and joy. Jesus is Savior and King. Jesus has paid our penalty. Jesus has broken our bondage. Jesus has purchased us eternity. Jesus is better. Jesus is the reason for the season. We must believe that and rest in that. He is the Prince of Peace. He has made peace between God and us. And He wants us. He desires for us. He made us to love Him supremely. So let us remember Him today and this week and this year and all of our days because Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You for the great grace that You've shown us through Your Son. Lord, we have so many things to look forward to during this season, so many things we're excited about. And God, it's okay to like presents and food and family and traditions. But God, help us to not love those things more than we love You. Help us to not settle for those things when You, the fount of everlasting joy, are offering Yourself to us. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know You, if there's anyone who hears this message that Jesus is better and the the message rings hollow in their ears because they are trusting in things and experiences and memories to satisfy, God, help them to run to You today. God, help us to run to You, rest in You, believe in You today and this week. And God, all the days of our life, Lord, we pray that Jesus will be the reason for this season for us. And we pray now that as we close and we sing a song, Lord, that you will help us to prepare our hearts even now to magnify you this Christmas holiday. God, we love you and we praise you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.